Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Continuing through Paul's discourse here to the Corinthian church regarding the resurrection and the false doctrine that had crept in claiming that there is no resurrection, that there hadn't been, that there wouldn't be. I want you to think about that. It's not just that they're saying Christ didn't rise from the dead. What the Corinthian church is actually asking in chapter 15, we saw in verse 12, Paul says to them, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So they're not only challenging that Christ rose, they're challenging that anyone would rise. Do you understand the depth that this goes to in our belief as Christians if there is no resurrection? Now we have been looking at this, let's call it argument. I kind of want to reclaim the word argument. So you might hear me use it more as I work to reclaim it. An argument is not a bad thing. Our conduct, thank you, Jacob, our conduct in arguments might be a bad thing. Our argument might be ill-founded, but an argument is simply a discussion about points on which we disagree, right? That's what, we're, that's what an argument is, a discussion upon points in which we disagree. So Paul's argument here, and the way that we've been looking at it through 1 Corinthians 15, the argument is that imagine the Christian life without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's how we've been looking at it. Indeed, that's how Paul frames his argument to the church at Corinth and for us today. But if we expound on that a little further, now imagine that Christ has raised from the dead, but we don't. The Corinthian church is saying, how can you say, Paul, Paul is writing to them asking, how can you say there is no resurrection from the dead? You're saying that no one rises from the dead when the reality is Christ has risen and for those who place their faith and their hope and their confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will also attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is going to further his case here for why we can trust that the resurrection has and will happen. We are waiting. We, ourselves, are awaiting. Pastor, I'm not dead. Not yet. It's appointed once for man to die unless the Lord doesn't tarry and calls us home, at which point, remember... This life will end. There will be a resurrection to new life. Paul is going to continue his case for why we can trust the resurrection has happened. And he's going to begin laying the groundwork to guard against the problem that had happened in Corinth. We've been talking for the last couple weeks. Corinth was a messed up church full of messed up people. And after walking through numerous chapters of their poor conduct in the world and their poor conduct in the church and the establishing of order in the church so that their conduct could improve after Paul has labored through 14 chapters now coming into the 15th chapter we have come to learn that at the core the problem with the church at Corinth was bad doctrine there was bad doctrine in the church. How can some of you say? For someone to say there is no resurrection is false doctrine. 
Christians believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is going to further his argument, and he is going to work to help the Corinthian church, and I pray by extension us today, praise God for his word, how to guard against the problem that had happened. Would you read along with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just a few verses today, verse 29 through 34. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you in this moment. God, appealing for your help. I, as the person you have chosen to speak your word to your people today, I need your help to do that. I can't do it on my own. It will fail, surely. Pray for your spirit to speak through me and speak to me, God. I pray, Father, that you would give us understanding in your word, that your word would enlighten our lives to the truth. Father, that it would convict the sinner to repentance today. I pray, God, that through your word, Christ the Savior would be exalted. Surely there is only one name. And I pray today that through the teaching of your word, holy life will be promoted among your people. Teach us, God, we ask in this hour. Amen. <clears throat> I titled the sermon today, Because of the Resurrection. Because of the Resurrection. I never know one week to the next if I actually do what's supposed to be done up there or not, so sometimes it's good to look around and see that I did. Not the most creative of titles, but you're going to see as we work through, I have three points for us to consider this morning. Because of the resurrection, we declare our faith. Point number one. Because of the resurrection, we declare our faith. Because of the resurrection, we face persecution. And because of the resurrection, we labor in sound doctrine. We declare our faith, we face persecution, we labor in doctrine. Title it Because of the Resurrection, because as we're going to see Paul as he continues his argument, our life, indeed the practice of our faith, is based on the hope of the resurrection. Without the hope of the resurrection, our life, as we've talked about and as Paul pointed out in verse 19, we are to be pitied among all people, if not for the resurrection. Verse 29. Paul is continuing here. This statement is tied in. I know we have to break chapters up each week because you don't want me to preach for two hours. It's long enough that we go for one hour, I guess, in this society. It should be four or five, but whatever. This otherwise is tying back to what Paul has been talking about from verse 12 and on. How can you say in verse 12, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? He goes on to highlight. If Christ is not raised, our preaching is in vain. 
Our faith is in vain. You have no forgiveness of sin. Those who died with faith in Christ have simply died. Those of us who live with faith in Christ are to be pitied among all people. Our life is miserable if Christ has not been raised. Last week, verses 20 through 28, Paul established that, in fact, Christ has been raised. And he worked through first Adam. Through Adam, all sinned, all die. Last Adam, second Adam, Christ, all live, all find forgiveness of sin. So we have, I explained last week, we were talking about it in our adult Sunday school as well this morning, we have Adam as the federal head of mankind. He is over all of mankind. Mankind is, is, is from, literal, from the loins of Adam. We come from him. When he sinned, he, by extension to us as our head, brought sin to all mankind. And we've talked about at great length in the past how we are not simply victims of sin. We are guilty of sin. This is easily identified, and it's why the Ten Commandments exist. I'm not a sinner. Have you ever told a lie? You are a sinner. It's that simple. And that's just one just one. All mankind, sinful and in need of a savior. He ties in here as he talks about the work of Adam. Remember we talked last week, everything that Adam had done, Christ undid. Adam sinned, breaking the command of God, and Christ came fulfilling the righteousness of God that Adam could not do. He broke it. Christ fixes it for us before God making a way through faith in him to become the sons and daughters of God. So this otherwise here is tying back into that. We're thinking, in light of the resurrection, if it hasn't happened, our practice and our faith is absolutely a sham. If the resurrection has happened, then we have a different life to live. He explains why and how otherwise. What do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? Have you ever read this verse and thought, I don't know why this is in here. We're not baptized on behalf of the dead. Paul is raising the point. If Christ is not raised, we're baptized on behalf of a dead person. What is baptism? Baptism is the sign and seal of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Full and complete work of Jesus Christ. And when we witness and rejoice over someone being baptized, we are rejoicing over the sign and seal of Christ's work in their life. The water doesn't do anything. The water is the means by which Christ said, recognize my followers. And so it is the sign and seal. We watch a person go under the water and come up out of the water. And Paul says, otherwise, why are people baptized on behalf of the dead? I wrote this down as a thought here. We declare our faith. It's a public matter. Perhaps you are here today because you should go to church on Sunday as a Christian. But perhaps you're here and you're thinking, I'm here, but my faith is my faith, not our faith, not your faith. Wrong. That you, You're misguided in your teachings of biblical of biblical teaching. You're misguided in that. Our faith is absolutely a public matter. It is to be declared. Baptism is the first step in declaring publicly our faith. I wrote this down. The people of God should continually live and move driven by what God has done. Why are we baptized? Because Christ came to earth, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, was buried, was raised from the dead, now reigning on high, returning one day, so we now live in light of that. 
Baptism a sign, the seal. It doesn't save. It marks the saved. It's not something that's done on behalf of the dead. Paul is challenging. If Christ has not been raised, why are people baptized? We have all the way back. And many people were not here when we started this nearly two and a half years ago. But all the way back in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, we have Paul saying this. I thank God that I baptized none of you. (laughs) He's making the point early when their conduct as Christians in the world is off and they're following man. He's making the point It's not about if I baptized you or if someone else baptized you. It's about have you believed through faith in Christ and have you been baptized? He says, except Crispus and Gaius. So Paul has baptized people. Baptisms have happened. He says in verse 16 of chapter 1, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. So baptism has happened in the Corinthian church. If Christ has not been raised, then they're being baptized on behalf of the dead. And our baptism is not a baptism of the dead. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says that we, those who through faith believe in Christ, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Our baptism is not into death. Our baptism is in, 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 if you've paid attention when we baptize, baptizing you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death and raised, some will say, in the likeness of his resurrection. I like to say newness of life because the Bible says newness of life. That is the resurrection. The resurrection is new life, buried in the likeness of his death and raised that we too might walk in newness of life. Colossians chapter 2 verse 12 says, we were buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith. You understand? That's why baptism is such a, a, pivotal, a pivotal point in the life of a believer. If you're here today and you you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, you are, I don't, I want to be careful, you may be disobeying Christ's command or you may have not received biblical instruction as to why we are baptized. Baptism is a response to the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ because through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we declare our faith. It is a public matter under the water, out of the water, buried like him in death, raised like the resurrection to walk in newness of life. We're not baptized on behalf of the dead. Look what he says in the second half of verse 29. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? We're not. We're baptized into a living hope. Our baptism is a baptism of hope, faith, trust in the completed work of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If Christ is not raised, then that sign, then that seal, baptism, is the most ridiculous of displays. People come to church and they walk out and they're soaking wet. For what purpose if the Lord Jesus Christ has not been raised? People are always looking for various proofs throughout all of time in the reality and the existence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Oh, you believe the Bible, it's so archaic. Then why are people still being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? 
If Christ has not been raised, we talked about this two weeks ago, if Christ has not been raised, do you realize how quickly the Christian faith would have died and been non-existent? Yet here we are, the majority of us gathered through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, praise God. Because of the resurrection, we rejoice. When we watch and witness a baptism, the reason that people, why are people, there have been times where it's a public matter. Somebody getting baptized is coming to the Savior, and they're like, I really want my parents to be there. Why? Not so they can give approval. Why? Because I have family that doesn't know Christ. Why would, why would someone want to be baptized in front of someone who doesn't know Christ? Because they do know Christ. Because they have come to trust Christ by faith. Because they have realized the forgiveness they've received by faith in Christ. Because they've realized the eternal destination of their life is changed because of their faith in Christ. And so they're baptized and they want to tell people about it because baptism is a public display. It's a public matter, our faith in Christ. So people come and they get soaking wet in front of people who don't know the Lord who later say, why did you do that? And the door for the gospel is opened in the life of a saved person for the Holy Spirit to communicate the truth of the gospel to the lost. Because of the resurrection, we rejoice. Somebody's baptized and people clap and shout. and ah! Like, people can't wait to mob them and hug them and embrace them as a brother, as a sister in Christ because you recognize what just happened, a public profession. You've believed in Christ. Come, it's like we dragged them out of the water. Come in here to the family of God. Praise the Lord. We declare our faith. What do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Paul, challenging the point. Corinthian church, if there's no resurrection, why have you done this? Why have you been baptized? Challenging their thought that there's no resurrection. Someone's thought, whether it's in mass, whether it's one person, whether it's a little small group where there's a strange wind of doctrine working and permeating through the church. Why would you say this? And why would you do this if that's true? Because of the resurrection, we declare our faith. It is a public matter. Also, because of the resurrection, we face persecution. It's going to happen. Spent two weeks on Wednesday night. We just talked about it briefly in the adult Sunday school. We've talked about it in this room a lot. We've been praying for the persecuted church, prayed for them this morning. I hope you understand, side note, I hope you understand that when we pray for the persecuted church, we're praying for us too. It's time for us to stop thinking about the persecuted church being somewhere out in the world. It's time for us to get cozy and comfortable with the fact that we are the persecuted church. And that's not the village proper, you understand. Just this, that's Christians. We are the persecuted church. I think we've lived far too long with the distinction between, oh, Lord, be with the persecuted church that has to gather underground in Korea because people hate you. No, I mean, people hate God here. What in the world are we saying? It's just displayed differently in Korea or in other parts of the world, and it's becoming not so different here. Because of the resurrection, we face persecution. Look at verse 30 through 32. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. I wrote this thought. Because of the resurrection, we face persecution. The people of God should continually live prepared for persecution. You, you in this room, 
the faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ, abiding in the word of God, the word of God abiding in you, your hope and your every confidence placed eternally in the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be prepared and or preparing for persecution. Oh, this is a popular message. I bet I could sell out stadium fold on this one. The people of God should continue to live prepared for persecution. It follows them. Persecution follows the people of God. We, we've been duped and deceived. I've talked about it before. I'm probably going to have to start talking about it a lot more because it's so close. It's in Canada. It's in Indiana. Who knows where else it is? Probably in Michigan somewhere if we look hard enough for it. The church of God is being persecuted. People hate God. Well, pastor, nobody hates God. Yes, they do. Sinful man is at enmity, God says. There is strife between us. Colossians says that the, the lost, the sinful, the unsaved, they are hostile to God. They are alienated from God. The people of God should continually live prepared for persecution. It follows them. Would you turn with me to Matthew? Keep your place in 1 Corinthians. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Been in the Beatitudes on Wednesday night. If you don't come to Wednesday night, I would love to encourage you to. We meet at 6.30 in the, the basement. If you go down this hallway and down the stairs, we meet down there every Wednesday night at 6.30. Uh, going to begin after having completed the Beatitudes, going to begin just working our way through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And so I hope that if you're not coming, you would come, pray with Christians, be encouraged in prayer, be encouraged in the word. Matthew chapter 5, we're going here to see Christ's words. I want you with the Bible in front of you to see Christ's words regarding persecution. Matthew chapter 5 verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to, as it were, expound verse 10 in like, hopefully less than a minute. Blessed are those who are persecuted. One, persecution is a good thing. Okay? Blessed are those who are persecuted. Persecution is a good thing. Two, for righteousness' sake, we have to stop and think biblically. Let's let our biblical theology, what the whole Bible says about a topic, let us think about righteousness. How are we made righteous? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So when we think about this, blessed are those who are persecuted. Who is persecuted? Those of faith in Christ. Those of faith in Christ are persecuted, and persecution is a good thing. Why are we persecuted? Because of the righteousness of God, won for us by Jesus Christ, and placed on us by the Father through faith in Christ. Did you follow? I love when I say things that people are like, wait a second, Pastor, I think that made sense, but you said it quickly. We are persecuted because of our faith in Christ, because God has put his righteousness on us because of the work that Christ did. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ through faith do not come into the kingdom of heaven. Those who are blessed through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with the hope of eternal life, they are persecuted for their testimony. They attain eternally to the kingdom of heaven, and that's it. No one else. The world is not blessed when they are persecuted for their worldly beliefs. Now, 
we might see persecution in the world of worldly beliefs. We're like, oh, that persecuted people. This is different. This is because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Oh, well, pastor, this was just Christ talking to his disciples and the listeners gathered around. Let me help you. God has preserved the words of Christ to us until this very day, at this very moment. These words are for you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Why? Because you went to church on Sunday? Because you go on Wednesday night? Because your kid goes to, to a program that happens at the school? Because you got a fish on your car? Because you listen to Christian music? Because you post Christian verses on your Facebook page? Why? On my account. You are persecuted because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like if, we were, if, if we were to just like start doing like a, all those who don't want to be dismissed can leave now, many of you would have left at the start. It's not comfortable to say, but it's true. They still happen to this side. Lord, this is hard. I'm sorry. And they left. If we were to start talking about blessed are you when you are persecuted, blessed are you when someone throws a rock through the windshield of your car because you said you love Jesus Christ. He's the only way to heaven. You don't think that's coming? You, you don't think that, that vandalism isn't coming your way because of Jesus Christ? You don't think that we probably run the risk of having all of our media shut down because it's on the internet and, well, it's a free country. We can do anything we want on the internet. You don't think that they're not going to first attack all of Christian multimedia on the internet? People have asked, why isn't our internet presence a little stronger? Because it's going to get taken away from us. And we need to be right here, not out there. We use it while we can right now, but sooner or later, they're going to come after it. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't think that's going to be the first move, you're crazy. This is not conspiracy theory. The world hates God. Well, we'll just make it easy. Censor, click. We already saw it. What are you talking about? We see it all the time. It happens all the time. Blessed are you. I, man, I pray. <laughs> I can't wait for the day that I go to sign into our website and it just says I can't. This doesn't exist anymore. Facebook just is gone. Like, I can't wait. We've censored you off. I, man, oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Like, that's our longing, right? Eternal perspective. We want those things to be happening. We are blessed. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are the king's words. This is the king, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Blessed when you. Would you follow me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Paul says, why, he says in verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians. We're going to make our way back there. Why are we in danger every hour? 
We've, we've examined Christ's words, blessed are you when you are persecuted. Now, Paul's dangers, why are we in danger? I just want you to understand that whatever persecution you are facing right now may be minimal compared to what is happening around the world. I expect that to intensify fully, rapidly. Pastor, you want to give us a date? Yes, yeah, soon. That's the date. I expect Christian persecution to intensify rapidly. I'm probably a little too excited about that. But what? Listen, if we're not expecting all this to happen so that we can go home to eternity with God, what in the world are we claiming through our faith in Jesus Christ? That's our end goal. That's what we're working toward. Okay. Matthew, Christ talks about being persecuted. Look what happens to Paul. Remember Paul? He used to go by the name of Saul. Remember when we met him? He was standing at the stoning of a man named Stephen. The Bible says giving approval to the killing of this man of God. Great miraculous powers being demonstrated through Stephen. He preaches this message. You can read it in Acts chapter, I think, 7. Saul is standing there giving his approval. Says they're laying their cloaks. You know why they're laying their cloaks? You ever, ever read that and wonder, why are they laying their cloaks? Let me tell you why. So you can understand Christian persecution. They would take their cloaks off and lay them at the feet of whomever or wherever so that they could be more equipped to pick up heavier rocks to kill people with. I should have maybe warned all the parents in the room that we were going to stay general audience. The Bible's now, it's nowhere near general audience. I got to get this coat off me. I can't do this. Gonna, here, Saul, you hold that. I got to kill this. <laughs> Bam! And they hit him with a rock to kill him. Oh, pastor, my family Christmas, if I bring up Jesus, people, people what? They throw a Christmas present at you? They're killing him. That's when we meet Saul. We meet Saul. All of a sudden, he's going by Paul. Why? Because Christ meets him. Hey, a blinding light falls from his horse. I'm, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now go. It will be shown to you. I'm calling you out to be my mouthpiece to the Gentiles. Radically saved. Acts chapter 7, 8, 9. Awesome. Then he says here in 1 Corinthians, to the Corinthians he writes, why are we in danger every hour? Let's look at Paul's danger. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses, I don't know, 24 maybe. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. I, I wish that we were in a day and age where people still had biblical knowledge, but because we're not, I have to explain what this means. We don't understand it. If, if we don't, you don't understand what Paul's saying. Five times, can we do math? Five times... I received 40 lashes minus once. Five times 40, quickly. Five times 40. 200. Minus one, 39. So we've got to take one, two, three, four, five away from 200. 200 minus five is 195. So someone's going to check my math. Thank you. But Paul is saying, I have received 195 whippings at the hand of my own people, the Jews. You know what the 40 lashes minus one is all about? Christ, the commandment, you read it in the law. This is why we need to read our whole Bible. You can whip a person, but you stop at 39. Less on the 40th, they die. This is God's judgment on sin to the Israelites. You know what the lashes were? Like, it doesn't sound too bad. Is that like the willow switch? No, no, no. The best thing that we can understand it to be through archaeological experience, 
is something similar to the cat of nine tails that's been carried on ships for, well, not anymore, but used to be carried on ships for thousands of years. The cat of nine tails, a stick with leather strips coming off it, multiple leather strips coming off it, and in the end of those leather strips, bone and, and pottery, things that would cut, maybe metal or whatever they had that could cut. And when you got hit with it, it wasn't just a, like, like the willow switch that your grandma made you get when you were naughty. It wasn't just a they would, they would whip, sorry for the graphic nature, parents, have fun talking about the reality of the Bible with children when you get home. They would whip a person with it, and when they did, those things that would cut would dig. And then when they pulled to do it again, they would pull skin off, and then they would do it again. 195 times, Paul from his own people. We'll never face that in America. You're out of your mind. Five times I received the, the, at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Anybody remember when that happened in the early 90s? 90s? The guy who got caned in Singapore? Remember that? Remember when we were like, oh my God. Oh. Oh, who could do such a thing? Well, they took it easy on that kid. They didn't take it easy on Paul, but that's what's happening. Beaten with rods, three times. Once I was stoned, we read about that in the Bible. Once I was stoned and left for dead, and they left and thought he was dead. And the Bible says that the disciples gathered around him, and he stood up. <laughs> He's like, Whew. He's not dead. He stands up, and what does the Bible say? He went right back into preaching what he was preaching he got him stoned for the first time. Three times I was shipwrecked. Okay, that may not have been on purpose. That may have been... The judgment of God, perhaps on Paul for his sin in this life. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? Perhaps it was judgment of God on something else, but when calamity strikes, we should be certain to understand that calamity happens as a result of the hand of God. Shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, rivers like Paul crossing a safe point, huh? In danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. You know what that means? Naked. I was cold and I was naked. And apart from other things, Verse 28 is a bonus. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. These are Paul's dangers. Why are we in danger every day? What danger? These were Paul's dangers every day. Every day he was in danger. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13, it says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Do you understand? We suffer now for Jesus Christ. In some form, right now, we are experiencing suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. You might think, I, I, don't, I don't really think that I am. I guarantee you. Every person in this room who is fully confident in the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting him through faith for their salvation, I promise you, we could spend some time together and we would get to where you 
are being persecuted for your faith. Peter says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you. So we pray for a church in West Lafayette, Indiana, who's trying to lead an organization, who's trying to organize against a community organization that's trying to ban the word of God from being used. If we boil it all the way down, that's what happens. And we're like, I can't believe that's happening because we don't read our Bibles. Don't be surprised. When the world starts to legislate against the word of God, don't be surprised. That's going to happen when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. This is our call. People of, listen, you from right here in let's call it 25, a radius of 25 miles, okay? Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you as though something strange were happening. This is fulfillment of God's word to us as his people. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution is coming. It's, it's already here. You've already been persecuted. It's why we don't speak up. It's why we don't speak out. It's why we don't share Christ. When you are intimidated to share Christ because of what others will think, you're being persecuted. That's a form of persecution. Paul says, why would we do this? No, 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 because of the resurrection, we are persecuted. It's going to happen. Why are we in danger every hour? As he says in verse 31, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ our Lord. I die every day. Paul's already counted himself dead to sin. We got plenty of writings. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. And now he's saying, because of my witness and because of my testimony, no one can stand me. No one wants me around. My own people. I die every day for the sake of my testimony. He says he's proud of his work, but it costs him something every single day. Verse 32. Paul says, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Somebody read that, and you're immediately trying to find where Paul fights with beasts at Ephesus. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about idol worshipers and those spreading false doctrines. And you can read about it in Acts, I'm pretty sure it's Acts chapter 16 when he's in Ephesus. If not, it's 16, 17, it's Acts 19. Acts chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus. He says, I fought with wild beasts there. What's he talking about? Those who were fighting God's word. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Why would I do that if Christ has not been raised? My practice is in light of the resurrection. I preach because of the resurrection. Look what he follows it up with. Remember Ecclesiastes? We were in it for eight months last year. This is a direct pull from Old Testament words. It's a reference to things that Solomon said. If the dead are not raised, let's just eat and drink and die. Let's not spend Sunday morning like this anymore. Let's make waffles and bacon and eggs and have a great breakfast every day. Let's all go out to eat and let's drink and enjoy it because tomorrow we're dead and it all means nothing. No, Paul says it means something. Life without the resurrection, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Isn't that the world? Isn't that humanism? Enjoy it right now. Enjoy life right now. It's all there is. There's nothing more. Live your best life right now because there's nothing after it. Secular humanism at its core. Christian humanism at its core. Then he moves on. Because of the resurrection, one, we declare our faith, verse 29. Two, we face persecution, verse 30 and 32. Verse 30 through 32. Three, 
Because of the resurrection, we labor in doctrine, verse 33 through 34. I wrote this down. One, doctrine is for all of us. Doctrine is not my work. It's our work. Doctrine is not something you come to church and sit in a chair and listen to me talk about. It's something that you chase down, that you study, that you follow, that you grow in. What is doctrine? Doctrine is the teachings of the Bible. If the Bible teaches, that's doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is a summary of what the Bible teaches that is faithful to the Bible and useful for life. It is all of us to labor in doctrine. I wrote down, the people of God should continually live with biblical doctrine in front of them. I want you to see this. It's a quote you'll notice. No one's necessarily 100% sure where it comes from. They think it's a contemporary writing to Paul's time that when he wrote to the Corinthians, they knew what this statement meant. But you see there in verse 33, do not be deceived. One, underline that. When the Bible tells you to not be deceived, it should be underlined every time. Do not be deceived. Then did you notice? There's quotes around it. Bad company ruins good morals. Other translations say something like bad character corrupts good character. Like the, the thought here is that something bad has ruined something good. Bad company in the English Standard Version, bad company ruins good morals. Now I'm going to become a little bit of a nerd. Bear with me and pay attention. Do not be deceived. Bad company. Show of hands. You've heard the statement, one bad apple ruins a bunch. Practically everyone, most of us. One, thank you. One bad apple ruins you. Like, maybe you experienced having a bag of apples in your kitchen. It doesn't last long in our house because they get devoured quickly. But if you leave one and it's mushy, somehow, I don't know, the other ones get mushy next to it. And this happens with potatoes too. Ask me how I know. And if you leave them for a long enough time, potatoes have a really strong ammonia smell. Ooh, man, it's really gross. Happens with oranges. Like you leave it there, you leave the bad one there. If you leave it there, the rest are going to go bad too. It just happens. Like how does this happen? How did that happen? Bananas. Uh, bananas sat on the counter a little too long. And the next thing you're like, I got to make something out of those in the oven because I can't eat them anymore, right? They just start to ooze. Oh, gross. This is more than that. Bad company ruins good morals. The Greek word for company is the word homilia. H-O-M-I-L-I-A in our modern spelling. Homilia. Show of hands. Anybody know what the word homily means? Anybody in the room at all? Homily. H-O-M-I-L-Y. Homily. One. Just me and you two. Okay. Not, not many of us. Good. You're all about to learn. Homily. The Greek word homilia is where we get our modern day word homily. You know what it means? A homily. A sermon. A sermon, a lecture or discourse on a moral theme, an inspirational catchphrase. That's what Paul's word was. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he wasn't writing to them about the people around them. He was writing to them about the things they were hearing. Pay attention, church. Bad. So can we, for our, uh, for our purpose this morning, can we take out company? This is important. Can we take out company? Can we add bad homily? Let's do that. Bad homily. Bad sermon. Not just like, wow, pastor, you didn't sleep much this week with a sick family, did you? No, I didn't. Not bad sermon like that. False doctrine. 
Do not be deceived. Bad homily ruins good morals. The word Paul used here for morals is the word ethos. Anyone in the room? Ethos. Put your hand up. Anybody know what it means? One, two, three. Some think they do and aren't sure. Not many of us know what the word ethos means, but we will recognize its definition. Distinguishing character, sentiment, moral nature, guiding beliefs in a person or a group of people. Our ethos. It's what guides me. It's what guides you. It's what guides us, our ethos. For our purposes this morning, let's read this. Do not be deceived. Bad homily, sermons, ruins good ethos, morals, guiding beliefs of a group of people. So when Paul says, how can you say there's no resurrection? It's because the doctrine of their homily was producing bad ethos. Their doctrine was false, and it was producing false believers. I wrote this down. The only antidote to false doctrine is a strong dose of well-versed instruction in sound doctrine. And if you are putting all of that work in your life on me, how dare you? It is your work. It is my work. It is our work to labor in sound doctrine. Happened in Galatia. Galatians chapter, uh, it's not 7 verse 9 because there's no Galatians 7. So it has to be chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 9. Paul writes and says, who cut in on you? You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? In in chapter 1 he talks about if you abandon the gospel that I preach, there's no other gospel to abandon to. What have you done? Who abandoned? Who's done this among you? Bad homily worked its way into the church of Galatia. Happened in Ephesus. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, you know those that I had to contend with, those who had false doctrine in Ephesus, those false teachers. It happened on Crete. Paul wrote to Titus, rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. Rebuke them sharply. They must be silenced in Titus. 2 Peter talks about bad doctrine through false teachers and false prophets who will rise up from among them. 1 John, 2 John, the whole New Testament talks about us being on guard against false doctrine. But did you know that in today's day and age, there is more access at your fingertips for false teaching than ever before? And you are all probably watching it every single day without even trying to discern whether it's false or whether it's sound. And you're just consuming. And then you know what else is happening? You're passing it on to other people without ever saying, what does God's word actually say about this? Do you know that the number of preachers and teachers and ministries out there right now are preaching false doctrines and you're not aware of it? The prosperity doctrine is woven into everything. The word of faith movement is woven into everything that's happening out there. They are consuming Christians. Why? Because it pleases our itching ears. It sounds good. Please me. You're here right now and you're like, oh my gosh, pastor, wrap it up. You know why? Because it's not pleasing to hear God's word. God came down on Mount Sinai to speak with the nation of Israel and they said, stop, no more. Moses, you go speak and then you talk to us, but we can't hear from God. Do you understand our position before God? Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked sinners in need of a savior. The only antidote to false doctrine. Man, I'm telling you right now, you know how you would benefit in your Christian walk? About to get radical. 
oh well. Silence the voice of the world in your life. Just stop it. I'm not going to quantify what that means in your life. You know how much happier, just as a person, you know how much happier you'd be if you stopped listening to the world and start listening to God? Just, just quit. I said it at the start of Ecclesiastes. This world has nothing for me, and this world has everything. A song from the 90s in my own life. Stop. Saturate your mind and your words, your home with the word of God. Talk about God with your family around the dinner table. Talk about God with your friends when they come to your home. Come to Sunday school. Come to Bible study. Come to church on Sunday morning and talk about the things of God. Whatsoever things are pure, right, honorable, noble, praiseworthy, excellent. If anything is good, think on those things. The only antidote to false doctrine as you're finding your way to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I might set a record for length of sermon this morning. How much fun is that? 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at instructions of Paul to Timothy, and we're going to see principles for us. Sound doctrine is our work. He's talking about people departing the faith. He's talking about being a good servant of Jesus Christ. He's talking about what Timothy, as a pastor in Ephesus, 1 Timothy 1 tells us, he's telling him what to do. He comes down to verse 11. Look what he says. 1 Timothy 4.11. Command and teach these things, sound words from Christ. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. That's specific to Timothy. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. Again, specific to Timothy, but a guide for us. The more we practice the things we have through faith in Christ, the more we see our life being built up in our faith in Christ. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Instructions to Timothy are principles for us that doctrine matters. Because of the resurrection, we declare our faith. Because of the resurrection, we declare our faith and we face persecution. Because of the resurrection, we declare our faith and we face persecution and we can stand up against it because we labor in doctrine. When we labor in doctrine, we understand that we will be persecuted. Our faith is to be public even in the face of persecution. Back in 1 Corinthians as we wrap this morning up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33, Paul says, do not be deceived. Bad homily, sermons, doctrine, ruins, good, ethos, morals, guidance, ruins it. Look how he follows this up. For anyone sitting in the room saying, I don't know, pastor, doctrine is just not my thing. Look how Paul follows this up. Wake up! Somebody just did in the room. I wish I'd have caught him. Wake up from your drunken stupor! And do not go on sinning. What, what sin? What, what, what have I done? What sin? You did not pay attention to the sound doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, Corinthian church, are saying, ah, resurrection. Nobody came back from the dead. It's not going to happen for me. Your doctrine is off. Stop it. You are sinning. You're saying, I profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I don't teach what he taught. That's sin. Bad doctrine is sin. Now, sometimes it's because of ignorance. I have probably very likely said things that were bad doctrine. 
because of ignorance. I'll own that. Guaranteed I've done it. And what happens? I get corrected. God brings someone my way, or even through the reading of the scripture, God is like, hey, oh, whoops. It gets corrected. This is people persisting in bad doctrine. The Corinthian church is persisting in bad doctrine. They're a disaster. Paul says, wake up. It's like you've just taken it all the world has, and literally, he likens it to a drunken stupor. You are intoxicated on the foolishness of the world, and now you've brought it into the church. And if there's ever been a message that I hope everyone in the room can draw a straight line from what was written to them then and what it means for us now, it's the hollow and deceptive philosophy of man brought in from the world into the church that is misguiding and misleading people in untold numbers away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wake up. Stop sinning. Why? Because some have no knowledge of God. Look at, I say this to your shame. Paul wants, used by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, there is a desire here that the words spoken to them right now would cause them to what? If they were Old Testament Israel, they would rip their clothes, they would put on the scratchy sackcloth, they would sit down in the dust, and they would cover themselves with ashes. I say this to your shame, repent. How do we apply it to us today? We declare our faith. We face persecution. We labor in doctrine because of the resurrection. One question. We talked about declaring our faith. Do you have a faith to declare? Are you a new creation because of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is the old truly gone? Is the new come? There should be a semblance of something different in your life because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I once was, now I am. It may be small in the beginning, it may be large in the beginning, but there should be some form of, this is why I've been praying, church, pray with me, about teaching about forgiveness, confession, and repentance. Repentance is seeing what is wrong and turning away from it. Are you turning away from, you've confessed your sin, are you turning away from your sin? Are you a new creation? Have you been baptized? Why are we baptized on behalf of the dead? We're not. We're baptized on behalf of the living, the Lord Jesus Christ. Likeness of his death, what raised to walk in newness of life. Have you obeyed Christ, the Savior? The gospel is not out of reach for you. If you're here today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ through faith, the gospel comes to you saying, repent and believe the gospel. Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He was raised according to the scripture. He appeared. He is coming again. Are you a new creation? We declare our faith. Do you have a faith to declare? We face persecution. <clears throat> How can we apply it? I'm, asked, I'm just asking questions. You're going to work on this throughout the rest of this week. Are you preparing for persecution? Are you preparing for persecution? Are you preparing for someone around you to be persecuted? Are you preparing for our church to be persecuted? Are you preparing for the persecution of our faith on account of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you preparing for that? How? What steps are you taking? What active work are you doing so that when persecution comes, you're not the first one to run away? I hope you're drawing close to the word and to Christians to prepare for persecution. We declare our faith. We face persecution. The last point, we labor in doctrine. Are you watchful over your doctrine and the voices that influence it? Do you actually, when you listen to someone preach the word of God, 
Do you sit with the word of God open to check against the word of God what's being taught? Do you trace out the ideologies and the thought and the worldly theology disguising itself as biblical theology that is taking Christians by countless numbers away from the truth of God's word? Are you watchful over your doctrine and the voices that influence it? I thought of that cute little song. How appropriate. Careful little eyes what you see. Careful little ears what you hear. I'm concerned for you, church. I need you to know this, that I have great concern for you. We carry phones in our pocket, and when we're bored, we go to Facebook, and we flip through, and we scroll, and we get on YouTube, and we watch, and we listen to music that we like, and the next thing you know, someone's on there spitting heresy and lies, and we're duped to thinking it's sound doctrine. I'm concerned for you. You should be concerned. You should be looking at and asking, is this sound? If you're not sure, you should be asking someone around you, I need help. I've got to, God help me to discern if this is a worthwhile voice or if this is a charlatan spitting heresy. Why don't we labor in doctrine? I want to help you. Some people say it's boring. Some people say it's unnecessary. Some people say it's unhelpful. I don't need doctrine for my evangelism. Incorrect. Incorrect. In fact, the most important thing you need for evangelism is doctrine. What are you going to talk about if you don't know what the doctrine of Jesus Christ is? How are you going to share Jesus Christ? It's boring. It's unhelpful. It's unnecessary. These are all actual words that I've heard from actual people actually in this room. Ouch. Let's deal with it. It's boring. It's unhelpful. It's unnecessary. Paul says, wake up. Stop sinning. It's yours to labor in doctrine. It's mine to labor in doctrine. It's ours to labor in doctrine. Sound doctrine from Jesus Christ, the word of God. How? The principles from Timothy. Command the word of God. Teach the word of God. Exemplify the word of God. Be devoted to the word of God. Exhort according to the word of God. Teach according to the word of God. Practice the word of God. Watch closely the word of God. It's 168 hours in a week, if my math is right, which most of the time it is, but sometimes it's not. 168 hours in the week. If this last, coming up on an hour and a half, is all you've got for doctrine this week, shame on you. I say this to your shame. If your doctrine is thought out and worked on right here, and this is it, and you never open the word of God for the rest of this week, and you come back next week, I say this to your shame. You are robbing yourself of the abundant life that Jesus Christ won for you on the cross, achieved for you in his resurrection, and gives to you for nothing but faith. You're robbing yourself. Not to mention the people around you. Not to mention the church at large. Are you working out sound doctrine every day? Are you in the word every day? Pastor, I can't, just too many demise. 168 hours in a week. We're at church for an hour and a half. If you come on Wednesday night, praise God, three hours. If you spend one hour every day, which recent statistics do seem to show that most Christians, when they open their Bible, spend an hour in the Bible, but that statistic was nowhere near every day. If you spent one hour working out doctrine from God's word in your life every day, seven hours in the week, plus your hour and a half at church, 
on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, if you did all of that, you've used up 10 hours out of 168. Congratulations. I'm open to your excuses. I've got plenty of my own. Do you understand how important and necessary and firm this word is to us? This is serious business. And in light of, most specifically, the persecution coming to us, we better be about it. Because of the resurrection, we declare our faith. We face persecution. We labor in doctrine. Because of the resurrection, we gather on Sunday. We sing and we worship. We're going to sing one last song today. I'm going to pray for you. If you have questions about salvation, if you're here and you're like, I, I don't, Pastor, I don't think I'm saved. I I don't have the hope that you're talking about. If you need help, if you're looking for a resource to help get you into the word of God, I'd love to talk with you. There are others here that would love to talk with you. Don't leave and not find help among these things that matter. Because of the resurrection, we declare our faith. We face persecution. We labor in sound doctrine. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the conviction in my own life that comes through your word. I thank you, God, for increasing in my life a desire to read your word more, to labor in doctrine, not because you've called me to be a pastor, but because you've called me your son. God, I love you, and a desire to know your word more. And I thank you for your word that those who are gathered here today were able to receive. I pray, God, that you would develop in them a love for you that forces them to your word, that we may know you more, that we may abide in your word as you abide in us. You've told us, if we love you, we will abide in you. Strengthen us, God. Father, help us. As we live in light of the resurrection, help us, God, to declare our faith. Prepare us for persecution and teach us as we labor in sound doctrine. Father, you are good. And I thank you for the many in this room who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, whose eternal hope is the resurrection of the dead to eternal life. But God, I pray for those in the room who do not have that hope right now, whose eternal outlook is the resurrection from death unto death. God, I pray that today the witness and testimony of the village church has been used first to glorify your name in the heavens. And I pray, God, that it will have been used in the life of a sinner to bring them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.